In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. This is the sixth Sunday of Easter, and so we are nearing the end of this week of weeks, these 49 days where we uh, walk with the Lord and we consider uh, what it means that we are resurrection people, what it means that He has risen from the dead. We are now very close to the end of those 40 days where the Lord walked and appeared with His apostles after He was risen from the dead. Remember, we read that He does that for 40 days. And so just like we spent 40 days in contemplation of His temptation, we spend 40 days in contemplation of His appearing. Uh, that will end on Thursday. That is the day of the ascension. And so uh, we are nearing the end of these 40 days where we, um, we live with the Lord and in, in considering what that means, what his appearing means, and how it is that he would desire to appear to us, how it is that he's appearing to us in our lives and what kind of transformation and change that means for our lives. The Lord has always promised that he would appear to his people. He's always promised that he would be with them. He's always promised that he would care for them. And the way that we see him promise that is uh, consistent throughout the scriptures. One way that the Lord uh, tells us that he reveals himself to us is through creation. And of course we see that today in the reading uh, from the prophet Joel. The prophet Joel spends a lot of time talking about the way that the Lord appears through creation. And we're going to talk about this again in the Acts of the Apostles. We want to make it very clear because there are um, other religious uh, ways of seeing creation and of seeing God or rejecting God from creation. Uh, There's the idea that God and creation are one. And so this is what pagan peoples believe. They worship God as the creation or God in creation. This is not uh, what God reveals. He is not one with creation, uh, right? Uh, He is not the moon. He is not the stars. He is not the sun. He is other and wholly transcendent from what he has created. Uh, Another understanding would be that God has created but then is somehow distant from his creation, that somehow um, he's gone away or that um, he is somehow distant from us in a way that we can't really have interaction with him or that he doesn't have interaction with the created order. And... uh, Uh, Our faith and the scriptures reject both of those understandings. We have a clear understanding that God is totally separate from creation. He has made all of creation. He's made us, the sun, the moon, the stars, everything that is. And he enters into creation. So he is transcendent, he is holy, he is other, completely set apart from creation, and yet he enters into it. He enters into creation in various and profound ways, and he makes himself known to us through creation. He acts through the created order, and he has left for us telltale signs um, everywhere about the order of creation and about his goodness and his provision for us. We see um, here in Joel where the Lord talks about that. He talks about the way that he has loved his nation Israel. And of course we know that he gathers the nation of Israel in a particular place, in a particular time. This is a particular ethnic group, right? This is in history. This is a defined people with a defined place. And he has um, surrounded them and he has uh, watched over him and them. And he has disciplined them like a good father disciplines his children, 
right? A good father offers for his children uh, reward and consequence. He sets a boundary for them. He sets a rule for their living. And then he interacts with them and he helps them to be able to follow uh, the ways that he has taught them. And of course, this is what the Lord is doing for the nation of Israel. And so this is a time where he is saying, I'm gathering you, I'm loving you, I'm providing for you, and I'm providing fruit for you. And he does this in in very particular ways. Uh, The first way that we see in Joel chapter 2, verse 22, is that he names two trees. He names uh, the fig tree and the vine uh, that bears fruit. The fig tree, of course, is very important. We see the fig tree over and over again. The fig tree is a tree of cursing, right? It's the tree of the curse. It's the tree that Adam and Eve go to to cover themselves. And you remember that if you've ever seen a fig leaf and you've ever um, felt its spininess, you know that that is the last leaf that you'd ever want to put on your private parts, right? And so this is what uh, we do to ourselves when we sin. We continually pick at scabs, right? A person that doesn't have discipline, that's um, constantly in anxiety and, and worry, they're constantly picking at themselves and this is what Adam and Eve do in their sin and so he first sets up this tree of curse and yet he says that it's from this tree of curse that he's going to bless them and of course this is what he does with Jesus right Uh, Jesus is placed upon the tree of cursing he's placed upon the wood of the cross and he transforms that curse he transforms the curse of that wood into blessing he 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 takes that curse and he turns it on its head and he says um, i'm going to teach through humility and sacrifice how uh, what had once been a curse will now be a blessing and so he does that with the fig tree the vine tree of course then is what uh, comes out of uh, the lord it's what he produces and of course it's uh, the goodness of wine in creation And we see wine as being a symbol of gladness all the way through the scriptures, but its pinnacle, of course, is in Holy Communion, where the Lord gives uh, wine to the people and he says that this is my blood. He has made the vine and its fruit uh, to be his blood, and he has um, offered to present himself to us, to enter into us, and to sanctify us through that simple gift of wine. And what we start to understand there is that the blessings of God, the gifts of God are not found in, uh, you know, amazing technology. It's not found in kind of uh, these uh, foreign things. It's not found in, in, in wondrous things that are, that are rare or that we would have to travel the earth to find. Uh, they're in the very simple common things of life. He has chosen the common vehicle of wine to be his blood uh, that would transform and would heal us. The same thing we see in verse 24, Joel chapter 2, verse 24, we see the threshing floor and the grain and the vats overflowing with wine and oil. And of course, we've talked over and over again about how the threshing floor uh, becomes a symbol for the place where God meets his people, right? The threshing floor would be a high place. If there was a, you know, a field of wheat, the threshing floor would need to be above the field and it would be, need to be above uh, most of the other kind of high places in that area because you would need the the slightest of breeze to pass over the threshing because they would use those long forks and they would throw the wheat into the air and the chaff which was lighter uh, would blow away and so it had to be this high open flat place where the earth could become compact and we see several times when they're moving the tabernacle of the covenant where they place it upon a threshing floor and of course they would 
right? This is the place where uh, the people could see the tabernacle. And indeed, this is the place where God would thresh his people, where he would lift them up and he would say, you will be tested. Are you living lives of righteousness or are you living lives of selfishness? And he allows that wind to thresh us. And then again, the vats, which are in the low place, right? The lowest place of the vineyard. He also meets us there in that low place where the wine is gathered and where the oil is gathered after it has been pressed from the, the olive. And so we have the oil of gladness that's so essential to maintaining life and to maintaining health, especially in this ancient Near East where the oil would be so essential to keep the skin from cracking and for baking and for all kinds of healing. And we see it used over and over again for the anointing of God's people, for the blessing of God's people. And uh, we continue to use it to this day. We keep the oils in our tabernacle for uh, the catechumens. We use it for healing. And of course, we use it primarily for chrismation, for calling upon the Holy Spirit to fill uh, the people after baptism. And so now we have all of the instruments that we need for our worship of God. We have uh, the wood of the cross where he has sacrificed himself. We have the threshing floor where the bread for Holy Communion is made. We have the oil where we have the wine for Holy Communion. uh, And we have the oil for blessing, for chrismation, for baptism. So in this short passage in Joel, we have everything that we need for our worship of God. Everything that we need to make Christians. Everything that we need to allow God to dwell with us. And indeed, this is the promise that God makes, right? This is his purpose. And this is the radicalness of our understanding. Because when we understand that God is wholly other, wholly transcendent, wholly outside of creation... To understand that he would humble himself and lower himself to come and to dwell with us, he says in verse 27, I am in the midst of Israel. And so this God, totally transcendent, has met us in the simplicity of our need and the need for our bodies to be cared for and blessed and he has desired to dwell with us and to live with us. And he does that through the good provision of his creation of course this is constantly the plan of god and he he constantly moves to dwell with us in new and radical ways and the final and most profound way that god dwells with us is when god became man god became man so that man might become one with god God became man in the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and he is at the center of all history. He is at the center of all of creation. He joins together divinity and humanity, and he makes it one, and he allows us to participate in divinity, allows us to come into relationship with the Father. And you'll remember that the portion that we're reading today from John's Gospel, chapter 14, It's in the midst of these several chapters that we have of Jesus talking in the upper room. You remember that we talked last week about Judas uh, consuming the bread and the wine and how he did it without repentance, without a desire and a plan to serve God, but to serve himself and how it was condemnation upon him. It was a curse upon him because he took it without repentance. And once Judas goes out, Jesus begins what we call the farewell discourse. He spends uh, a lot of time now talking about his going away and what that means for the apostles. 
And indeed, he says at the end of this short passage we have this morning, if you understood what I am doing and where I am going, you would rejoice. But instead, of course, they're in confusion and they're in fear. And the Holy Spirit, once he comes upon them at Pentecost, right, 50 days after the resurrection, then they realize, oh, oh, that's what he was talking about. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for us still today, right? We receive the Holy Spirit, we wait in prayer, and we have our minds cleared, we have our minds focused, we're able to perceive the will of God, we're able to read His Scriptures with understanding, and we say, Oh, oh, so that's what He means. And so this is what Jesus is explaining to the disciples, and He explains how it is that they can be disciples, how it is that they can be believers. And you remember that um, we've talked uh, before many times about how in John's gospel, he focuses a lot of time on this relationship. And, and one way of describing this relationship, not the only way, but one way is, is the figure eight. The father is in the son, and this, the son is in the believer. And the believer is in the son as the son is in the father. Do you see that figure eight? We're clear on who the Father is, right? We're clear on who the Son is. God became man so that man might become God. But the believer, people have lots of interesting ideas about what a believer is, right? And Jesus clarifies in the passage before and here today who a believer is, what it means. He defines it this way. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them. So can we be a believer? Can we be in God if we don't love our neighbors ourselves? No. No. If we don't love God first, can we be a believer? No. No. Whoever has my commandments and keeps him, he it is who loves me. So he says, this is what it means to love the Son. It means to love the Son when we love our neighbor as ourself and when we love God. When we do that, then we love the Son. And he says, he who loves me will be loved by my Father. So again we say, right, when we love the Son, the Father loves us. This is a reciprocal, dynamic relationship, like all good relationships, right? And everybody knows this. Everybody knows that to be in a good relationship, it has to be reciprocal. It has to be give and take. One person's doing all the giving, another person's doing all the taking. That's not a relationship. It's definitely not a love relationship, which is the relationship that God has for us. A love relationship is one where I submit myself and I humble myself before the one who loves me, and they humble and submit themselves before me. We're in mutual submission, willing to serve one another, right? So that we can together do what is right. So he says, when we love God... He will love us. He says, I will love him and manifest myself to him. So again, in this dynamic reciprocal relationship, the more that we know the commandments and we keep them, 
the more the Son manifests himself and makes himself known to us. The more he is known to us, the more that we can love. The more that we love, the more he's known to us. This is a continuous, reciprocal, dynamic relationship. And he promises to do the same thing that we have read since Genesis through the prophet Joel. We will come to him and make our home with him. Make our home with him. God promises to dwell with us. God became man so that man might become one with God. Dwell with God. Tabernacle with God. That is the promise. The Father is in the Son as the Son is in the believer as the believer is in the Son. He would tabernacle and dwell with us. He would make his home in us. And this is what it means to believe. This is what it means to be a believer. To be in a dynamic relationship with God where we love our neighbor and we love God and we continually offer ourselves to him as he makes himself known to us. And if we want to know what a life like that looks like, if we'd like to know, gee, how would my life look different if I was actually doing that? If I was doing that, would my life look any different than it does? Yes, it will, is the answer of the scriptures. We see in Acts of the Apostles something crazy. Because if you remember, God has gathered his people, he's gathered Israel into a specific geography, he's promised a tabernacle with them. Jesus comes and he says, I'm going to teach you how to tabernacle with me in a more radical way, because you're going to learn how to love as I love, you're going to learn how to, to believe as I believe, you're going to be one with the Father, and because God is everywhere, that means we're now going to go everywhere. And so we see the believers of God, whom God is tabernacling with now, leaving that specific geography of Jerusalem and they begin to go out into the world. They're taking their tabernacle of God, that is the Holy Spirit within them, out into the world and they are sharing this news. And we see when that happens, some really dangerous and uh, messy things take place, right? Paul is uh, speaking now in Lystra and you'll remember they're in Lystra because they had just gotten kicked out of Antioch. Right? They had just gotten beaten and kicked out of town. It's pretty clear from the Acts of the Apostles that they are moving wherever they can move next. Right, And so he goes a little bit southwest. He goes into the city of Lystra. It's clear now that he's preaching in a public place. They haven't made their way to the, tabernacle, to the, to the synagogue. And he's preaching out in the open. And he sees this man who is, um, who is uh, uh, not able to walk since birth. And he sees faith in him. How is St. Paul able to do that? Because he is having Christ constantly manifested to him by his willingness to sacrifice himself in love. Right? Because he is continually offering himself to God. God is revealing himself to Paul. And Paul's able to see, oh, this man has faith. He's ready to be healed. And right in the middle of his preaching, he says, get up and walk. And the man does so. Now, often we think, oh, well, if I saw... If I saw a miracle like that, then I'd believe. Which is not what happens. Right? Paul and the man who was healed already believed. And the miracle benefited both of them. And perhaps whatever community had already believed. Everybody else says, Oh, you must be Zeus and Hermes. 
we're going to offer a sacrifice for you. And this is, to me, one of the greatest kind of comedies in the Acts of the Apostles because Paul and Barnabas begin to freak out and say, wait, 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 wait. No, we're not gods. We're men like you, right? We're men like you. And you can see this urgency. You can hear it in their voice. Wait a minute. No, don't sacrifice to us. So here's a miracle of God. And when the people hear it and perceive it, they have completely the wrong notion, right? So miracles do not always produce the faith that we want them to produce. And then Paul begins to explain to them, he begins to preach again to them. First he starts with, we're men like you, we have the same nature as you, and we're preaching good news so that you can turn away from these vain things. When he says vain things, he's talking about Zeus and Hermes, right? Because they're caught in that understanding that the created world is God, right? The Greeks are living in this pagan understanding of what it means to worship the creation as God. If you want to know what a culture looks like that worships the creation as God, take a look at the ancient Greeks, right? What did they do? They killed their babies, right? They have prostitution cults. They have... uh, Uh, All kinds of Bacchanalian feasts, right? Where they're drunk for days and days, right? They're hallucinating for days and days. Their lives are totally corrupt, right? And amoral. And this is why, in living like that, they finally turn and they say, wait a minute, maybe there's something else. And they're able to hear just a little bit, some of them, as Paul explains that we are worshiping the one who made one God who made heaven and earth. And who, just as we had said before, speaks through his creation. So this is one God who made all things, and he has made himself known, he has manifested himself through creation. By doing what? By caring for you and loving you. In other words, this creation is organized, it's purposeful, it's meaningful, and it indicates God's love for his people. If you listen to that carefully, you see how radical that is. Because as we said, the other understanding where God is far away, right, and the world is just working on its own, says the world is chaotic, unpredictable, meaningless, going in its own direction, without order or meaning. And Paul says, no, the world has meaning, and through it, God has shown His love for you. And this is where we need to focus as believers today. Because we are living increasingly in a Bacchanalian, pagan, Greek culture. Where people worship themselves and the creation. Their appetites and a chaotic way of life. And if we indicate in love... That God loves them, that he has a plan, that he has a life of order, of purpose, of meaning, and that all of creation indicates that, and that their lives can have beauty and meaning through God's love, so that he would manifest himself to them, day in, day out, in relationship, by dwelling with them, we will see lives and our community changed. May the Lord manifest himself to us this day and forevermore.